Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends, I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at you, Kramer. You can't always figure out what a stock is worth. When something is in free fall, as so many tech stocks were today, although the rest of the market is pretty solid, Dow gaining 195 points, S&P advancing 0.17%, while the Nasdaq lost 0.50%, you have to figure out what can bottom first. But not many beaten down stocks feel like they're hitting terra firma now, do they? So why don't we take a hard look at what's getting hit So we can make some determinations, even as I say, you can't necessarily prove when exactly a stock can bottom. Now, for starters, in the last day, the federal, let's say the president, the Federal Reserve chairman, the Fed vice chair, the Treasury secretary, they've all come out and said they're worried about inflation. Treasury yields have gone back up, too. In that environment, money managers want to pay less for all stocks, but particularly the most expensive ones. Don't sweat this part, though. We've seen it before, and it's usually just a piece of the puzzle, not the puzzle itself. But all this hand-wringing about inflation makes it hard to guess where stocks deserve to be trading. And I say guess because that's really all we can do. So let's talk about what's getting hit here. All right. Let's understand the parameters and the players. First, coming this week, many of the so-called high flyers were really and truly trading at nosebleed levels. Now, some of these were absolutely ridiculous, courtesy of what we call parabolic moves, like a straight line higher before the whole thing implodes. That includes most of the cybersecurity stocks, the cloud stocks, the hyperscale stocks, and the electric vehicle plays. These are all companies that are doing incredibly well. However, their stocks have many acolytes, which means their share prices often get pushed up and up and up, not on different news, but on the same news. Next up are the stocks of companies that are doing pretty well, but are also being challenged by competition that could reduce their future earnings. None of these companies will admit that they're headed for a price war. But Wall Street seemed to know something that we don't, and that led to some aggressive selling over the last couple of days. Then there's the third group, which includes some non-NASDAQ stocks. These are the ones with great earnings reports, but they've also signaled, wittingly or unwittingly, that there's a slowdown ahead. Again, subtly or not so subtly, and we had two of those today. Best Buy and Dix. They are sending shivers up the spines of investors who expected nothing but big beat, big raise. They didn't get that raise guidance for the fourth quarter they were looking for. They got some, but not enough. Final group of victims. Oh, boy. These are the companies where the numbers, frankly, are, let's say, let's call them murky. And there seems to be no way to find your footing. There are a ton of these, including some highly visible ne'er-do-wells that we have to mention. 
we have to show some wrath here. All right, let's throw in more, one more complication, okay? All of these stocks have terrible charts, especially after they pirouetted down yesterday, opening up big, then getting mauled and finishing much lower. You know what? I call that the kiss of death chart. Some people call it an island reversal. So let's check. So why don't we circle back to the first group of victims here? The red hots, as I call them. These are companies that did absolutely nothing wrong. Nothing. There's nothing. Every one of these companies did better than expected. They reported better than expected results, top and bottom, forecasted higher growth, and yet their stocks are still getting crushed this week. That's not supposed to happen, right? Alphabet, Microsoft, Cloudflare, Peloton, Networks, Roblox, AMD, NVIDIA. We've had them all. They are all doing fantastically. I won't mince words. These are the names you want to buy first. I've studied these tech-led sell-offs multiple times over the last 40 years, and these best-of-breed stocks tend to bottom before all the others. Amazingly, almost every time these high multiple stocks sell off, the fall lasts for three days, three days from the start. And then they begin to flatline before powering higher again, as if nothing really happened except for a shakeout of the weak hands and a recharge. It's a little trickier the holiday, but these high flyers should be putting in bottoms by Friday. I know, it seems so pat. But that's been the pattern. Next up, the ones that have done done well. They've done well, but could be facing a ton of competition. Phantom or otherwise. Consider the payment stocks. I'm talking Visa, MasterCard, Square, PayPal. These, they're on. I mean, you, you know, I like to look at them through these glasses. I mean, but I can't look at them through rose-colored glasses. It'll just cost too much money. Now, these stocks just act horrendously. And I think that's going to continue until there's an absolute total shakeout. Each time you feel like you're getting a bottom, it turns out they can go to lower. That's been very evident since MasterCard held its fabulous analyst day two weeks ago. And Square reported what I thought was a solid quarter. It didn't matter. You have some truly terrific companies here. These are great companies. Okay, We're not, not, not judging the companies. But they're in trouble in, in terms of the stock because they are being competed against by new companies. Here I'm talking about companies like Affirm, companies like Upstart, the Rep, FinTech, new FinTech, let's call it that, and NFT, or uh, something that causes the bank stocks to stop rallying. Because remember, as the banks stop, go up, these go down. It's the other pattern had been most of the year. Remember, financial technology almost never works when the regular financials are roaring. The payment stocks need long-term interest rates to come back down, and they need to give you some kind of internal catalyst, either a big buyback or surprising acceleration in earnings growth or some sort of reorganization. Now, it's very, very difficult, which is why the payment stocks have become dangerous. Historically, this group had high-priced earnings multiples. It was completely loved. It was precisely because why they had such limited competition. If that's changing, then they have a problem especially PayPal, which my charitable trust owns. Now, you got to take the bad with the good, as I tell investment club members all the time, because you learn a lot more from the weak ones than the stronger ones. And boy, weak ones, if you Google weak stock, well, don't, because what happens is it comes up with PayPal. My advice here, take your time with the competitively challenged stocks. Let the sellers exhaust themselves. Until we get something better happening at the underlying companies, you could have some tough slogging ahead. Don't be fooled by one day where it doesn't go down or it goes up just a little. It doesn't help that we keep being flooded by the way, fintech IPOs. I'm not saying you have to ban these, but if you want to stick with the group, you need to be patient and wait for three or four days that they bottom, not one. Third group, the companies that crushed the estimates but then gave you some reason to believe that let's say to feel downbeat about the future. And it may have been intentional or it may not have been. It may have been by mistake. Best Buy and Dick Sporting Goods they got hit by the ugly stick today. Walmart got matched by it last week. I think all these companies were simply being conservative and their forecasts were taken totally out of context and they are doing really well. Still, you have to respect the skepticism from the 
from people who believe that the best is now behind them. Walmart has given us a glimpse of how these stocks can form a bottom. It took a full five days to ensure that you have firm footing. Then the stock started crawling back. That said, it'll be hard for these names to take out their highs. I expect them to get hit again. Now, we own some Walmart for the Chapel Trust, as club members know. But if Walmart gets back to where it was trading before, we might have to ring the register. Too many, too many, um... Question marks. How about that? Too many question marks. Finally, they're the most problematic ones. And now I'm talking about, oh, man, Disney, Twilio, Zoom. Companies that disappointed Wall Street with franchises that are starting to look tired at best. Here, without some news, maybe an acquisition, maybe some kind of breakup, anything can put the near-term past behind them. I don't expect much positives until they report again. And that's what might change the course, the trajectory. Now, that may be too long for some of you. But these stocks are now in the penalty box. They've got like 50-minute majors, and that's how the penalty box works. The toughest thing, it's probably too late to sell any of these beaten-down stocks. That doesn't necessarily make them compelling. And when you hear that a stock is done going down, that does not mean you should buy. Now, I am conscious after spending time with Jensen Wong, the visionary CEO of NVIDIA last week, that everything I just said is indeed guesswork. None of my knowledge is like his. I'm not a physicist of stocks. However, I am someone who's been knocked around a lot. Just like members of the investment club, I'm a pattern recognizer who's aware that patterns don't always obey the laws of nature. But the bottom line, these historical patterns are pretty darn good approximations. And I've been through enough of these tech sell-offs or the tech-led sell-offs to get a sense of how they normally play out. And remember, in these kinds of sell-offs, patience in this business is actually still a virtue. Let's go to Victoria in California, please. Victoria. Hi, Jim. Love your show. Love ah, you. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you so much. What's going on? Sure. For the past few months, I've been restructuring my portfolio towards infrastructure. Now that the bill has finally passed, there's one of my stocks that's not doing as well. And I was wondering, should I be buying more here? That stock is Caterpillar. I like Caterpillar very much. I think that they are a natural to do well. And I also think that they are incredibly well run. But you have to understand that, and this is really important. A lot of people don't understand this, Victoria, that before um, Caterpillar gets bought, it's going to be a company like AECOM, okay, that does the actual buying. And that's why that stock hit the 52-week high today, ACM. Johanna in Pennsylvania. Johanna. Yes. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Johanna. What's up? Well, uh, quite some time ago, uh, right uh, right before the earnings of Paycom, P-A-Y-C, yeah. uh, that was a recommended stock at the time, uh, I, I bought it. The earnings apparently beat. The forecast apparently was good. Yes, it was. And, and it's done nothing every day but go down, 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 down. And I've really gotten hurt on it. So well, I want to know, is it a buy, a sell, or a This hold? is a company that's doing incredibly well, and I think the stock will bounce. When I say incredible, I mean, like, they really are doing fantastically. So, uh, Johanna, I am not going to tell you to sell Paycom. It is doing incredibly well, and we just have to wait and wait and wait. Be patient. Bob in Arizona. Bob! Booyah, Jim Kramer! Yo, what's happening? Thank you for everything you do for oh, us home gamers. That's nice. Thank you. You know, after the recent decline, I'd like to know if I should back up the truck or get out with what's left of my tattered shirt. I'm long on GPN. 
Oh, Global Payments is a really good company. But right now, people are deciding that a firm is going to run over everybody. I think that you need to be patient with global payments. It's not right. But I will tell you that when it bounces, it may not bounce for real. You got to be really careful. We need multiple updates before global payments can be bought and you can average in, which is fancy term for average down. All right. As always, I'm here to help you navigate the market sell-offs as I am with the investment club. I am not a physicist of stocks, but I've been through enough of these tech sell-offs to get a sense of how they normally play out. I've done everything I can. On Mad Money Tonight, HP has dominated the home technology business during the pandemic. But as consumers begin to transition out of the home, how is HP poised for the future? I'm checking with the CEO after earnings. Then uh, take a trip to the supermarket and you'll see the effects of supply chain constraints and worker shortages on your receipt. I'm digging into what these inflated prices mean and if that T-bone steak you love or I love will ever return to its old price of just a few months ago. And former Unilever CEO Paul Pullman is out with a new book on the paradigm shift in corporate strategy over the last few years, and I'm learning more from the man himself. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
All right, why don't we make these numbers from HP Inc., the big maker of printers and personal computers? Here's a stock that spent the last five weeks moving steadily higher after a terrific analyst meeting in mid-October, where the company announced much better-than-expected outlook for next year and a monster 29% dividend boost. Then this afternoon, we get what I thought was a pretty darn good quarter. HP delivered a six-cent earnings beat off an 88-cent basis, higher-than-expected sales, strong guidance for the current quarter. Can, so can this criminally underrated stock maintain its momentum? Let's check in with Enrico Lourdes. He's the president of HP, Inc., who's done such a remarkable job. Get a better sense of the quarter and his outlook going forward. Mr. Lourdes, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, great to see you, and thank you for having me here. Of course. Now, Enrique, you did it again. And I want people to understand that you had a 12% overall net revenue growth. Uh, and a lot of this was your personal systems business, which grew 13%. Many thought this would end now that we're, we got the hybrid guy. Everybody seemed to have bought their computer at home, got their printer at home. That's clearly not the case. These numbers seem almost secular in growth, not cyclical. Uh, this is how we see it, and this is why we have been saying for a while that we expect the PC business to continue to be very strong for the foreseeable future. What is driving demand now is the commercial side. As offices are reopening, companies are investing to improve the experience of their employees, and this continues to drive very strong PC demand. Now, let me understand it. How is it possible? I mean, consumer PCs net revenue were down uh, consumer printing net revenue down, but the commercial side's on fire. So what is this? What's happening? Are the big uh, enterprises buying PCs for their uh, workers? Well, first of all, we see strong demand both across consumer and commercial. What you see, really, we are still operating in a supply-constrained environment, and we have been prioritizing commercial sales because margin is better for, for the company. What is happening is that companies are investing to improve their experience and their employees' productivity, and they are doing that on PCs, and we are really driving our sales in that direction. Now, you know I'm an HP user, and it's, I know that this is odd because I like the stock of Apple very much, and I like Apple. I have Apple at home, but I think the touchscreen, as you know, and I've told you many times, and the durability, all very exciting. How about just the attributes of the PC? I, that, I think, is driving a lot of sales. What we are doing now is really design PCs to improve the experiences of our customers. We are designing to improve experiences where customers are using PCs to communicate. We are investing to improve the security of the PCs that has become very critical these days. And all these investments, all the innovation that we are bringing there is helping us to continue to drive and to continue to lead in the commercial PC business. Now, you just gave great guidance in October, and you crushed it. What are you going to do with all this, this cash flow? I mean, the cash flow is unbelievable here. Well, we are an investor-friendly company. We have returned more than $7 billion of capital to investors in 2021, and we have shared that we plan to return at least $5 billion of capital to investors going forward. But M&A is also an important part of our plan. We did two acquisitions during 2021. We will do acquisitions in 2022 to support the growth strategies of the company because we are building a more growth-oriented portfolio, both through internal innovation and through M&A. Now, Enrique, the public is, is fascinated by 3D. I keep expecting, and I said this to your predecessor, that one day 3D will be owned by HP. When? Well, we are really excited about the progress we have made in 3D. We shared in our investor day three specific applications where we are going to be leading. And for example, I know how much you care about sustainability. One of the areas where we see a great 3D opportunity 
is for molds to replace plastic bottles with paper-based bottles. This will be a great opportunity going forward, and HP is going to be leading it. I am a used believer in that, and I've seen it. I've seen the early iterations. Hey, look, I can't, I, I have to, I can't resist this. We had Dr. Goodall on, Jane Goodall, and she talks about your company as being the leader in preserving forests. Is this a personal concern? You think that you know the forests are at risk? Because tell people, because I'm trying to get people involved in companies that are doing well and doing good. We are really proud of the partnership that we have with Jane and her organization. We believe that any purpose-driven company needs to connect their actions to their businesses. A big part of our company is printing, and people associate printing with paper and paper that comes from forest. And we have decided that we want HP printing to be forest positive. So we are partnering with, partnering with Jane. We are partnering with the World Wildlife Fund to restore forests all over the globe. And we think this is a commitment to the society and really will help us to improve the world that we will leave for our kids. Do you think you, other than warehouses, you printed the, uh, planted the most trees of any company? We, I mean, in terms of commercial printing, we are. But again, printing is, or paper is only one of our initiatives. We also consume a lot of plastic in our cartridges, in right. our pieces. So we have also initiatives to use recycled plastic to really show how, what is the commitment that we have to sustainability. Well, I know that Jane wouldn't let you put your name next to hers if she didn't feel that you are not greenwashing, but you're doing the real good thing. In the meantime, the cash flow amazing, the sales terrific. Enrique Loris, thank you so much for coming back to Bid Money. It's great to see you. Have a great holiday. Thank you, Jim. Same for you. Okay. Uh, look, HP's just up again. What can I tell you? It's a monster. It's a monster since it took over. Bid Money's back into the break. Coming up, what can a trip to the supermarket teach you about Wall Street? Kramer talks turkey next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. the supermarket last night, picked up a T-bone, 1.12 pounds. When I looked at the price, it was 24 bucks. I thought I was buying one of those fancy beef things, Wagyu, uh, maybe a special prime cut. But no, it was the same old steak that I used to pay for about 12, I don't know, maybe 15 bucks. 15. Let me think. 15, 24. That's too high. Who's to blame for that? Everyone from the Treasury Secretary to the Federal Reserve Chairman to the President seems to have an opinion on inflation. But let's deal with the reality of that T-bone. 
Consider that pretty much everything in the food chain has gone up in price, from the crops you need to feed cattle, to the labor you need to slaughter the cow, to the transport to the store, to the butcher and the cashier at the register. The only part of the process that hasn't gotten more expensive is that automatic checkout where you scan your stuff, although even then they have to have a dedicated person to make sure people know how to use the machines because nobody does. And that's when I reach a conclusion you probably don't want to hear. See, I believe the $24 price tag for that T-bone makes sense. It makes all the sense in the world, actually. So much of the supply chain has been impacted by COVID-related absences, by retirements, by the shortage of truck drivers. A surprising number of people have recalibrated their entire lives since the pandemic got going. And while that's created a very strong job market, it also means we have to pay more when we go shopping. More for the T-bone. Now, the president can't just impose price controls on beef. He can momentarily lower the price of oil by tapping the strategic petroleum reserve. But one look at the strong action the oil stock sells, that ain't going to work. So maybe, just maybe, we have to conclude that the price is right. Perhaps the old price was too cheap. Maybe beef hasn't risen as much as it should because it's a cutthroat business. Beef can get very ugly. Go watch the Oxbow incident if you don't believe me. Now, I don't mean to pick on the meat counter. There are price increases all over the place, pretty much in every aisle. But I think we've reached the what are you going to do about it phase of the inflationary surge. In other words, until we beat the darn pandemic, I don't see any of these prices coming down because companies simply have to bid too much for workers in this environment. So what exactly do we do? All right. Here's what you have to understand. As much as the inflationists want the Fed to raise interest rates, and that was the pressure all day today, it does nothing to fix all these supply chain bottlenecks. How the heck can Jay Powell produce a bigger herd of cattle with lower beef prices? You kidding me? How can he create more truck drivers, more butchers? Sure, once we beat COVID, it should be easier for companies to find workers. But maybe we were just lucky to have prices as low as they were for so long. Lucky to have so many workers. I can hear uh, already hear the critics say, hey, it's OK for Kramer. He can handle inflation. He's got a lot of money. But it's not OK for me. Believe me, I get it. However, I can't just say that supermarkets with the razor thin margins are suddenly price gouging us. There's so much competition in the food space that I probably I can probably get a steak cheaper somewhere else if I really hunted for it. Same with the turkey for Thanksgiving. But even if the Fed crushes the economy in order to tamp down on inflation, it won't have much impact until we finally knock out COVID. If President Biden were truly serious about fighting inflation, he'd force everybody to get vaccinated with the booster shot six months later. And he would do it immediately today instead of talking about the oil reserve. You want lower prices? Then you need people to come back to the labor market. And the best way to do that is with the vaccine mandate. Without it, wait, you better get get used to it. We got to make do. Again, I know that's easy for me to say. I can afford it. I know. But unless you're a business owner, you shouldn't want the Federal Reserve to slam the brakes on the economy. While J-PAL could theoretically get inflation under control, he'd have to destroy the job market in order to do it. That's a bad trade-off if you work for a living. I'm not saying it's time to stop worrying and learn to love inflation. But maybe it's not the end of the world if jobs are plentiful and wages are rising. Even if that means that, yes, indeed, you have to pay more for your Thanksgiving turkey, which has even higher sticker shock than the T-bone. Hey, let's take calls. Let's go to David in Delaware. David. Oh, yeah, Jim. Dave from Delaware here. Hey, Dave. How you doing? Good. Jim, these guys have some tasty chicken and sandwiches and did a recent acquisition. But maybe they're not executing as well as competitors. What's your take on Restaurant Brands International symbol QSR? They're not, they're not executing as well as the competitors. That's a big, that's the game set match. They need to call Jensen Wong, who's the CEO of NVIDIA, and get that avatar to start being on the uh, well, you know, on that speaker system when they when you order. Because without the avatar, they are going to keep sinking. They don't have the edge anywhere, anywhere. 
But thank you for the call. How about we go to Dennis in Connecticut? Dennis! Jim, big, big booyah from Connecticut. My question's about Monster. Um, basically, they've come out with a new size can. They're going into the liquor business, which they should have done years ago, putting liquor with It's terrific if you've never tried it. <laughs> but it seems like they're doing everything right. Should I stick with Monster? Right. Uh, yes. And you should. I mean, look, I don't think there's any deal with Constellation, but Coca-Cola is 20 percent of it. I think Coca-Cola already has something in the category. But I think that Monster is a very good company and I would not trade it. Uh, Although I will tell you that I also think that we're seeing some very good uh, recent results out of uh, the people Constellation. So I wouldn't sell that one either. But I do like uh, Monster Beverage more. All right. As much as inflation, you just want the Fed to raise rates. That won't do anything to fix all the supply chain bottlenecks or make my T-bone go down in price. And it will likely destroy the job market in the process. You don't have to love inflation. But for now, we may have to learn to live with inflation. Much more man might Could I exclusive with former Unilever CEO Paul Pullman? Fresh off the release of his new book, I'm learning more about what he's seeing in the corporate landscape and how the last few years have changed the ways companies have to conduct business. Then Gap reported after the bell, and it fell right into the Gap. Uh, but, but we're going to dig into the quarter and get a preview of what to expect this holiday season with the company's top brass. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. In the past couple of years, there's been an incredibly positive paradigm shift in corporate America. Suddenly, businesses care about more than just making money. Now they try to make the world a better place. According to Paul Pullman, the retired CEO of Unilever, this is the new normal. And companies either need to adapt or get left behind. And that's what he argues in his new book, which is very eye-opening. Called, uh, he co-authored this, by the way, with Andrew Winston. It's called Net Positive, How Courageous Companies Thrive by Giving More Than They Take. Now, Paul spent a decade running Unilever, one of the largest consumer products companies on earth. He came on the show. It was quite exciting. Under his leadership, the business was repeatedly lauded for sustainability efforts, and that didn't prevent the stock from substantially outperforming most of the peers because the company did better than most of its peers. So let's take a close look with Paul Pullman, a truly joyous man, former CEO of Unilever, hear more about what net positive is all about. Mr. Pullman, welcome back to Man Money. Well, Jim, great seeing you again. Hope all is well and safe. Oh, same. I hope all your kids are good and you have a good Thanksgiving coming up. We look forward to it. And then hopefully one day in Brooklyn together. Oh, I hope so. (laughs) Well, look, I thought your book is really important. Um, And it's very important because, frankly, uh, not just Mayo beats ketchup. We'll get to that in a second. But the concept of net positive is something that all the CEOs need to hear. But I want our audience to be looking for net positive companies because those are the ones that are going to triumph in the end. So can you give our audience a sense of what a net positive company looks like and why we should get behind them? Well, why we should get behind them is probably easier, and then you can see what type of companies they are. It is um, World Overshoot Day. This year is July 29th, which is the day that we use up more resources than the world can replenish. So being CSR or less bad is simply not good enough anymore. I used to kill 10 people. Now I'm killing five people. I'm not a better murderer. Then people say, okay, I get it. I need to be sustainable, neither good nor bad. But neither good nor bad, actually, the world won't accept either. I can um, build a coal plant here uh, and have the people live around it um, live uh, 12 years less of their lives than other people. 
but I plant a few trees there. That doesn't work either. When we overshoot these planetary boundaries, Jim, the only thing that society now accepts is companies that think restorative, reparative, regenerative, and that we call net positive. These are companies that, one, take total responsibility of their full impact and consequences in the world, intended or not. We see some technology companies celebrating the good things, but avoiding to take responsibility of the bad things. Doesn't work anymore. These are companies that think long-term and optimize the return for all of their stakeholders. In fact, they see shareholder return as a result of what they do. And most importantly, they work on the broader transformations that society needs so that it functions for everybody. Well, now, you, when you got appointed... Uh, just a few days after you told a meeting of major banks and institutional investors that anyone who wanted the company to stay focused on short-term profits would be better putting their money elsewhere. Now, half that group is about short-term profits. Why did you put it in their faces? Well, because it's proven to be true. You see the tenure of CEOs going down, the lifetime of publicly traded companies going down, the enormous value destruction in the U.S. by just paying the short-term shareholder game and by not investing in the companies, by not investing in your multiple stakeholders. Some of these companies find themselves short of talent, uh, no resilience in their value chains, uh, lack of innovation and innovation capabilities, and that music stopped playing after a while. So what we are basically saying is, be a company that profits from solving the world's problems, not creating the world's problems. And what we increasingly see, Jim, is that companies that actively already start to attack these negative externalities, work climate change issues, human rights issues, social safety nets for their workers, more gender balanced organizations, the racial dimension. Companies that work these things are increasingly also better valued by the financial market, which tells you that the financial market is smart. They've discovered that it's not just about risk mitigation, it's about an enormous opportunity. If COVID has done one thing to us, uh, Jim, it has made us discover that we can't have healthy people on an unhealthy planet. And the cost that we have been paying for COVID has been enormous. $17 trillion in Europe and the US, $27 trillion less in GDP over this decade. People are starting to realize that the cost of inaction is higher than the cost of action. And that is why the financial market is waking up. Okay, so Paul, one, uh, one last question. The, uh, in the book, you talk about Salesforce doing right things, Apple doing right things. Are there a lot of companies doing right things that we should be looking at so we can get other models besides what you did at Unilever? Oh, absolutely. And what you increasingly see is that within an industry, even if you compare companies within an industry, the ones that continue to deny that and charge these negative externalities to others in society are actually lower valued. You take the Exxons and the Chevrons versus the Orsteds or the Iberdrola's, you'll see the difference in market cap. And that is now true by every sector. Increasingly, we see companies thinking about regenerative agriculture, Walmart restoring uh, 50 million acres of of, uh, land and forest, protecting 1 million square miles of oceans, Microsoft taking carbon out of the air, since 1975 when they started the company. Interface coming out with tiles that actually absorb carbon. Increasingly, we're seeing companies starting to think about net positive, but now we need to do that at scale and speed 
and do it holistically. And well, that's what the book is all about. Yeah, well, the book is terrific. And it's actually, I mean, it's very, very uh, rigorous. It's not just like, look, we got to be, you know, let's just save trees. I mean, this book tells a lot about what comes. I hope the CEOs read it, but you should read it too. Paul, thank you for writing the book. Thank you for being such a great steward of Unilever. The first guy who ever really wrote sustainability reports, a person who's taught us so much. Paul Pullman, former CEO of Unilever, co-author of Net Positive, and a guy who's made a fortune for shareholders. Let's not forget about that. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Paul. Enjoy the holiday season and you talk too. soon. Yep. You should get it even just to read about the short-term fight he had with Kraft Hyde. It's joyous because the good guys won. Mad Money's back in. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round. Are you ready? Jennifer Messages. Jennifer. Well, hey, Jim. Happy almost Thanksgiving. Oh, happy Thanksgiving to you. Yeah. Hey, listen, I got a pretty big position in Verizon. And over the past year, I've just kind of watched the stock dribble, dribble, dribble lower. Uh, And so I'm wondering, should I hang on? Yeah, you get the good dividend. It's doing fine. It's not going to look. It is absolutely not going to drive, you know, create a huge wealth for you. But it's going to create a nice stream of income. Sometimes that's worth it. I need to go to Joseph in Washington. Joseph! Kramer, booyah! This booyah. is Joseph. Go ahead. Thank you, so, thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Uh, I'm uh, calling it regarding uh, Pfizer PFE. Pfizer is doing so well, and I think it's going to be doing better. And let me tell you, it is a terrific company that deserves all of the good things happening to it because they've done a great job on the vaccine. Nathan in Texas. Nathan! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I watch you every night with my daughter, Louise, and you're the only thing she wants to watch other than Peppa Pig. I love the kids got horse sands. What's up? So I'm in the house of pain with Altrix, symbol AYX. I I cannot believe how low this stock has gotten. This has a really great product, but these are the stocks that are out of favor that I am warning people to hold on to because they will bounce, and then we'll make a decision. Mark in New Jersey. Mark! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. 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 Yeah, listen, uh, my question is about Aurora Innovations, ticker symbol A-U-R. Look, this self-driving, when we do self-driving, we only think about one company. And we think about that company, and its name is NVIDIA. Okay, that's it. Let's go to Zach in Texas. Zach! Lo booyah, Jimmy, lo booyah. How are you doing today? Lo booyah. Jimmy Chill says back. What's up? ABR, man, tell me about it. I will not buy mezzanine loan companies because I don't know what's really inside them. I'm going to have to take a pass. Arbor Realty, John in California. No! No! John! Yes, hey, Jim. It's John from Orange County, California. Oh, it's beautiful. What's up? Oh, gosh, it is today. Um, So when you had this CEO on and interviewed him, he said there was supply problems. But that's been some months ago. Um, this is a company that was a stay-at-home company for COVID. 
and now it's turning into a work-from-home company. It's near its 52-week low. What do you think of Logic Tech? Oh, Is man. it time to circle they back just, around? They've eviscerated it. Sell? They've eviscerated it, and it's now down to 80. I cannot cancel selling this company. Its stock is just way too low, and it's got a lot of great things in the pipe. I'm not going to tell you to sell Logitech. Can I get Carolyn in California? Carolyn. Hi, Jim. I love your show. Oh, thank you, Carolyn. Thank you. I want to thank you for all you do for us home gamers. Join the club. We need you in the club. What's going on? (laughs) Um, I want some of your insight on T-Site Technologies. Should I... Hold or sell? Uh, this thing has just been a rocket ship, and I've got to tell you, I would schnitzel a little, I'd take a little off the table, and then you can let the rest run. And that, laser conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. There are the retailers that are making a killing right now, and then there are the ones that are being eaten alive by the supply chain crisis. Gap just reported after the close, and right now it sure looks like they're in the latter group. Not only did Gap deliver a big top and bottom line miss, management also cut their full-year forecast substantially. They talked about an inventory shortage caused by port congestion and COVID-induced factory closures in Vietnam, a big supply pressure for them, not to mention rising shipping and labor costs. All told, they said supply chain crisis could cost them up to $650 million in lost sales, while also eating into their margins as we head into the holidays. And that's why the stock's plunging after our trading. Now, Gap shares have come down big from its highs, but this story just became a lot more difficult. Can they turn things around? Are they doing better now? Let's dig deeper with Sonia Single. She's the CEO of Gap. Find more about the quarter and where our company's headed. Ms. Single, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Good to see you again. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Okay, I, I do want to make sense of this because, first of all, I think that you're trying to build enduring customer loyalty. That's your point. But it's going to cost you about a billion dollars, or I should say shareholders about a billion dollars. Are these the right choices? And why did other retailers that I follow not have to make those choices? And Gap did have to do that. We entered the quarter with really strong demand uh, across the company, as you know. And you know, I think what we were dealt was a blow of unexpected uh, constraint from our not top sourcing country of Vietnam with closures in about two and a half months, and we expected two months, uh, two weeks. Now, what we chose to do was compete, right? And we had uh, a lot of customer loyalty. Our new loyalty program had launched. We had demand that was strong. And I would much rather have a supply problem than a demand problem, Jim. And that's what we're navigating. It's true that the bulk of the issues this quarter were supply chain related, about a half a billion top line uh, affected by uh, short uh, stock out and about half a billion of transitory uh, air costs that we're incurring. But we believe the right thing to do is compete in the holiday season to have the right stock across all four of our brands. And that's what we're doing. So, uh, you know, even with the lumpiness of this quarter, when you step back, and you think about the year, we are delivering near record high sales in the company's history, uh, even with shedding a billion uh, of uh, sales, of unproductive sales through divestitures and closures. So overall on track for the strategy, uh, disappointed in this particular quarter, but all in focus and support of our customer and competing in holiday. Well, I, wanted, I want to think forward because that's what the damage has done for our investors who are watching right now. Uh, Is it possible to still have a good holiday season in the time that's left? Look, we chose to uh, uh, air our product in. 
so that the product would be there across all four of our brands. And, you know, I think that in order to compete, uh, that is the decision we've made. We think that the outlook shows, uh, you know, I think uh, a cautious Q4, that being said, our inventory uh, supply situation is getting better and better uh, with every week and month. And this is a big week with Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and we're ready to go and compete. All right. Now, I look at Athleta and I say to myself, now that's a winning brand. Why can't Gap reconfigure and make Athleta be the lead brand, given the fact that while the others are fine, what a star you have? Look, we had three or four of our brands drove uh, two-year positive comps, and Athleta led the charge with 46% sales growth, right? And so they're in the sweet spot of the uh, athleisure space, athletic wear, uh, with female empowerment, and we are funding them to drive growth. And on top of that, they have the benefit of the power of our platform, with which enable their launch into Canada which is enabling their digital domination. So really pleased with Athleta, really pleased with Gap Brand and North America comp sales being up 13% on a two-year basis. And, you know, fueled by partnerships, that's a major tailwind for us, whether it's Walmart with its second release or Yeezy Gap or international partnerships that we've lined up now for Europe. We're excited about the momentum we're seeing in Gap. But Air Public's relaunch and really the occasion dressing that is coming back and city shopping that is coming back, they're ready. And Old Navy also drove two-year sales growth in the 9% range. And, you know, with that, uh, while it's not as high as we wanted, that is solid growth, which will take Old Navy past $9 billion in sales. It's record high for this year. And so overall, core is strong while we deal with these transitional issues. Okay, now, while you knew that things weren't going well, you, you bought 2.9 million shares for $73 million. Sonia, that's a waste of money. <laughs> we'll have to debate that after the show, Jim. But, you know, we, we think that there's a nice balance of dividend, share buyback, uh, as well as investing in the business. Our top two investment areas are technology. You saw that we made two acquisitions this quarter to strengthen our own investments in our, techno- in our tech stack. Uh, our marketing investments, which are giving us all-time high, uh, or sorry, 10-year high margin rates and great price realization across the brands. So the investments we're making, uh, supported with a little bit of share buyback, feels like a, the right balance for our shareholders. I want, I, want, I want to go back to Athleta. Look, when you, have a, when you have a division that is such an outstanding star, don't you decide to put far more chips into Athleta and maybe take some chips away from some of the other brands, even brands that you regard as stars? Look, we are, we, we are taking an approach that Athleta's investment is unconstrained. And so we're treating them as a startup within the portfolio. They're, they're getting the funding they need. In addition, they're getting the power of the company, right? The access to the file, the enablement to launch in Canada on the back of our infrastructure, the franchise agreements where we've launched Athleta all across Europe this quarter. So these are great examples of the power of the portfolio. Also, the core investment in Athleta marketing in technology, which has played out with Athleta Well launching its online community platform, an extension of our digital platform, where we're seeing women come and, you know, uh, have connection with each other and build this online community that is really special with user growth month over month growing by 50 percent. So in terms of Athleta funding, we're, I'm right there with you, Jim, and we're all uh, we're all behind that. One last question. Uh, Best Buy reported that they saw a big increase in theft. Are you seeing that? Because it does seem like a lot of retails under siege. Yeah, listen, I think that we are safety first across all of our 3,000 stores. Our teams are well-trained 
and they're ready and they've navigated a lot in the last 18 months. And I think the, the current issues, we will navigate them as well with, with safety for our employees and customers top of mind. Well, look, I, I, the damage is done for people who are looking at it now. I think the balance is good. You've got the right set of priorities. It just was, I don't want to say the Grinch stole it. There's still time, right? There's still time. Listen, holiday, there's always time. And I would say, look, the restructuring that we did of our debt gives us a lot more financial flexibility. Okay. Uh, we are playing against our power plan. We are on track for that, which is top line mm-hmm. sales growth, sequential, and double digit return on sales. And we will hit our first year plan this year, despite the rockiness of Q3. So I'm pleased with that. Okay. I'm pleased with that. What, what that commit, what our commitment to next year okay, we, on we, track for we, our plan. We got to hold you to that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Thank you so much to, to Sonia Siegel, who did come on tonight after a tough quarter. That does matter to me. She's the CEO of Gap. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I'm trying to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.